Life's complicated and overwhelming enough, especially for those in mission-driven work. Let's make your journey to health as simple and sustainable as possible. I'm Lisa Baker, and I want to welcome you to the Simply Health Coaching Podcast, where it's the food, and it's more than the food. On this podcast, we'll talk about the food you put in your mouth and everything else that nourishes you or doesn't, with special attention paid to the problems and opportunities facing women burning out in mission-driven work. Starting with season two, we're going to spend time talking with three types of guests, women experiencing burnout in mission-driven work, conventional and alternative practitioners who serve them, and with others whose lives intersect with them and their organizations, in particular with individuals looking to implement innovative ways to fund the holistic health of these women. My vision is a world in which you can be well while doing good, and my mission is to give you the simple resources and practices and some helpful connections to get there. Let's get started. Today's podcast episode is brought to you by EAT, Your Way to Health, my group health coaching program for women burning out in mission-driven work. What makes this program different from other programs? For one thing, we focus on the stresses that are specific to mission-driven work. Perhaps even more importantly, scholarships are available, my way of making health coaching accessible to everybody. For more information or to apply for the March 2021 cohort, go to is good that's is.gd slash eat your way to health or follow the link in the show notes and if you're not in need of coaching and are looking to do some good in the world consider donating to the eat scholarship fund details at simplyhealthcoaching.com slash gift and that link is also in the show notes Welcome. I'm here today with Deandra Gourlay, who lives in Detroit and is a nonprofit program manager, graduate student, yoga teacher, and cat mom. Yay, cats. So, Deandra, I warned you, my first question is always the same, and that is, what's your kale and what's your kryptonite? So what's one thing that you try to do daily because it's so nourishing, doesn't have to be food, and what's one mm -hmm. thing that mm, occasionally sneaks into your diet or food lifestyle choices that may not be such a great nourishing thing. Yeah. So my kale that has been with me for a while, but really my, my anchor through this pandemic has been setting aside time to intentionally connect with my breath. So as a yoga teacher, you would call that maybe a pranayama practice, but really just I like to put my hands physically on my belly or on my heart one and one and just very much observe my inhales and my exhales, you know, with no distraction. Mm. That is certainly my tale. <laughs> Love that. Love that. Yes. Yeah. Connecting with the breath. Um, Excellent. What about the kryptonite? What sneaks in there? Yeah. I know it's hard as a so, yoga teacher to admit these things, isn't it? It's even worse when you're a health coach. It's like, yeah, well, sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> I like to believe I am still human. I mean, I know I am still human. Um, I think definitely my kryptonite is is doom scrolling. It's my phone. It's getting caught for unintentional amounts of time, just staring at that screen and really not being aware of what's going on around me, what I'm actually consuming and how it's affecting me. 
I love that. Yeah, that's a, that's a huge one. And I feel like it's gotten much worse during the pandemic for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And, and it really is a form of consumption, isn't it? It really is as though we are putting this into our body through our eyes. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, yeah, it's definitely something that's not very nourishing, especially if you tend toward the doom part of scrolling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. You get caught in those comments on the news article and suddenly <gasps> you have a very different view of the world. <laughs> yes. It's amazing. I really make it a practice not to read the comments. And yeah. it really helps a lot. I mean, I try not to scroll in general. Like I read the headlines of the news and I try not to read the ones that I know are not going to be, you know, they're not going to uplift my life in any way, shape or form, but man, you definitely can't read the comments. <laughs> yes. It's diving into the deep end of a very scary pool. <laughs> yeah, I love that. That's a really good way to put yes. it. Yes. Yes. And I, I recently spoke with someone on the podcast who said that, you know, I don't think the pandemic really changed us in any way. It just sort of exaggerated what we tend toward already. So during mm-hmm. the pandemic, you've seen like this really amazing thing where people are stepping up and doing really beautiful things. And then you have the opposite extreme, which is people are just hateful and ugly. <laughs> it's just gotten worse. And I feel like those mm-hmm. are the people that already tended to hang out in the comments. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes. Don't read I the comments. Totally agree. Step away from yes. the comments. <laughs> no one should read the comments. <laughs> exactly. Just don't even allow them. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's jump in. Why don't you start by telling us what it is you do as a program manager and what path actually led you there? Yeah. So as a program manager, I um, oversee a program. It's called the Health Professions Opportunity Grant, or we call it HPOG. And that is part of Volunteers of America, Michigan. We oversee a program that serves all of Wayne County. And the point of the program is to uplift individuals out of generational poverty by providing healthcare training and then healthcare employment. So some of the qualifiers for the program is that individuals you know, live in Wayne County and that they're receiving cash for food assistance. But after that, there's a lot of options from, from there that they can go. So we have over a thousand individuals in our program. Um, we have individuals that are nurse aides all the way up to registered nurses. Mm. So it's a really great program, um, especially now and looking at what the future holds for healthcare pre-pandemic. We knew this would be a, an industry in need. I think now we're seeing how much of an industry of need there is. Yeah. And really what led me there was moving to Detroit. I grew up in the suburbs and after my high school graduation, I was fortunate enough to move out of the state and to kind of explore the rest of the U.S. When I moved back to Michigan, I moved to Detroit and I started, you know, to really observe what's actually happening in the city. And I started to ask why, you know, why are things the way they are? Why is there inequality the way that we see it here? Mm -hmm. And why are doors and paths opening for some people here and not others? And so from that, I realized, you know, that I wanted to do something to make an impact on my community and where I live and I live here. So that's really what drew me to nonprofit um, specifically. I come from a background in retail and that was exciting, but 
you know, there's not really a lot of reward in retail. Mm. You know, it can be a thrilling job, but I don't think anyone really walks away at the end of the day feeling great mm-hmm. from that yeah. experience. I know I personally didn't. Um, so that's how I ended up here. Mm. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting to come to it from retail. Um, another person that I've interviewed um, on the podcast came to came to nonprofit work also from, from corporate. And, mm-hmm. and it's interesting to see that switch happening and what I'm finding fascinating is how often it's happening younger and younger, it seems. It seems like it used to be something that people would work in, in retail or, you know, incorporate for a while. And then later on in life would be like, oh, okay, you know, I've, I've done what I needed to do there. And now I can spend some time on doing what I love. And I just love that your generation in particular seems to be, <laughs> seems to be finding that a lot sooner. Mm-hmm. Like I want my job to be meaningful. Like, yes, I could mm-hmm. sell pocketbooks and make one woman's day, but I'm not making a really huge impact in terms of a big group of people. So yeah. that's wonderful. Yeah. So what about being a program manager at, at uh, Volunteers for America in Michigan and being a woman? What about those two things sort of astonishes, excites, challenges, disturbs you? Well, I think part of what excites me about that role and in, in being a woman is that the majority of the individuals we serve are also women. Um, I think 95% of the individuals we serve are women. (laughs) Yes. I've seen that statistic that, you know, nursing is still something like 95% Mm -hmm. women. And so, you know, the other, the other healthcare professions as well, medical assistants and tend Mm -hmm. to be women still. Yeah. And that's beautiful to see women really leading the way in this field, but it it also on the other side of the coin is like, why are women still in these caregiving roles? And we don't see men coming into these caregiving mm. roles as much. Um, but it's really exciting to feel that, you know, I'm not in healthcare. I don't think I, I could be in healthcare, but I'm able to help people who are helping people. And I'm able to provide that path for other women as well, yeah. you know, in their own journey. Mm-hmm. I think what's scary sometimes about it is being a woman in a career and and I'm sure you know scarier the higher you go you still feel like you're paving this path for other people and if you make a mistake how does that jeopardize those in line behind you Mm. so there can be moments you know where maybe maybe it's just me maybe there's other women too but we I feel like I tend to hold myself to a higher standard because of that in the work that I do and how I carry myself in my role. Yeah. Just because I want to make sure that those coming behind me or alongside of me still have those opportunities as well. And that we're pulling each other up and forward together. Would you be willing to maybe dig into why is it that we don't see men going into these professions? Absolutely. You know, I think... when we look at how we bring up, you know, boys and girls, and I think it's also too important to recognize that there's not necessarily always this binary, but there very much is a binary still in our society. Men and boys are not treated to necessarily care and be compassionate 
for for others around them. You know, they're meant to go on to to lead this path, to go forward, regardless of those around them. And not to say that mm. men are not compassionate and caring and can be, right? But they they go out on their own. You yeah. Know, where I think women and girls might be brought up a little bit more to bring those around us in and forward as well. Mm-hmm. And that can be caregiving, that can be being more inclusive in the work that we do. It can be in collaborating and making sure that, you know, not only are my needs met, but those around me, their needs are met as well, whether it's a family, a chosen family, a community, you know, yeah. what that yeah. is. It's very much what, what Marianne Williamson talks about is like that, that mm-hmm. tend and mend that that's where women t- seem to go is toward mm-hmm. nurturing, mending, fixing, caring for. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah. And, and I think sometimes I love that you brought up the, you know, the, the whole binary thing, because I think sometimes mm-hmm. it's, it's not necessarily male female it's more like what energy do you lead with mm-hmm. like if you tend to lead with yeah. a more masculine energy you tend to not go into these sort of so-called caring profession professions mm-hmm. so I want you to tell us a little bit about your story of burnout and I think it's so fascinating because you work with people who are right now on the front lines and are burning out so you have sort of like a, a double whammy going on yes <laughs> yes <laughs> So my story of burnout, um, I would say at the start of the pandemic is really like when it set in, Um, you know, there was a lot of work that my team and I did late fall and through the winter last year that that was good work and it was work that we needed to do, but we kind of thought that March would be like, ah, you know, like we're moving in this direction now. We worked out all the kinks and now we've got it. <laughs> and then there was a pandemic. Oh, you think so? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and at the same time, you know, right at the start of lockdown, I lost my grandfather, not to COVID, um, but it just, it all happened at once yeah. as, as things do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it didn't feel like anything really slowed down you know, stuff kept piling on. Yeah. Um, I was reflecting on this year and I was like, even if 2020 wasn't 2020 and all of that it was, this would have still been a very challenging year, you know, mm. personally. So yeah. So it just, yeah. it just compiled up like a bunch of yeah. stuff piled on together. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, so how did you, how did you Like, how did it manifest? How did you feel physically, mentally, emotionally, energetically? (laughs) I would say the initial onset, and it was hard for me to identify what it was. Like, is this depression? Is this winter blues? You know, what is this? It was like, I'm in a fog or, or underwater. It's like directionless. It, you know, I can't see the path. I don't know what's up, what's down. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm eating dinner. I'm like, when, what did I make? When did I make this? You know? Yeah. <laughs> um, so that was really what it felt like. And then it sort of switched into like a hyper anxiety, you know, this like need to perfect and to fix and to continue, continue to drive forward. Even if what I was driving forward in wasn't the right work or the right thing for mm. me to be doing, but I just needed to like focus on something. Yeah, to so be it did hyperproductive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so 
so I would say that was really my, my burnout story. And then, you know, I think it's at a more manageable level now. I wouldn't say Mm -hmm. I'm great. I wouldn't say I'm past it, but I feel okay. Yeah. Like I can see the path in front of me, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. That's a really wonderful description of the feeling. I, I, it's, it's something that I've been thinking about a lot too, which is there, there are some days where, you know, for example, I tend not to be a particularly down person. I think we, we all have sort of a, a set point in terms of where we are on the day-to-day kind of contentment, happiness Mm -hmm. scale. And the people who uh, are lower on that, that sort of spectrum tend to be the ones who get really sad during the winter and when there isn't much mm-hmm. light and it's cold and and that's definitely not me in fact I always joke that I'm kind of the opposite end of the spectrum where you know I'm not bothered by gray but boy when it's sunny out I'm like wow <laughs> you know yeah. <laughs> so I just feel like you know there's this set point but even now this fall as it's getting cold and snowy out in Michigan mm-hmm. all of a sudden I'm thinking wow is this going to be the year when I really actually feel that? Like, did my set point kind of shift left? <laughs> and just that yeah. feeling of not being able to see the path in front of you is, is yeah. really striking. Yeah. Yeah. So, and so would, what, what made you sort of identify like, oh, I think I'm burning out. I really wasn't, you know, able to do things that I know I enjoy to do mm. and enjoy them. <laughs> You know, I felt like maybe I was still going through the motions. Like I've, I've done a lot of work prior to this to really, you know, kind of form a routine for myself that holds myself accountable to things that make me feel good. Right. Like my yoga practice that, you know, eating well, like those kinds of things have become second nature. So I was still doing those things, which made it odd, you know, and harder to identify. But afterwards, I didn't have that same, like yummy, good feeling Mm. that I would normally have. Yeah, but I was doing it. Yeah. (laughs) So it it was hard. (laughs) And then, (laughs) you know, at, at work, there were still exciting things happening. And we were still able to help individuals. But again, it was sort of like, blase, you know, there wasn't that same connection or that same spark with yeah. things that I normally would have. Mm, yeah. And what, what eventually made you feel better, even though, you know, you may not feel that you're completely past it, but what happened that changed direction? I started to get um, a little bit curious and listen better to my intuition and my own self and connect to my body. Mm. I think originally I'm looking online probably like so many do Google Mm. doctor yes Um, (laughs) Google fix me and you know there's great products out there but I don't know that it was like a product that I needed to fix me and when I started listening to my body and getting curious you know I deleted Instagram for six weeks like how did that feel you know like did that pull me out you know it did was Instagram the problem or was my relationship to Instagram the problem? Mm. You know, it was my relationship. I love this, this <laughs> answer that you're giving. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And then it's, um, you know, I'm, I'm not a big drinker, but I found giving up alcohol right now 
provided better clarity for me as well, because, you know, a glass of wine or two is great, but is it just sort of numbing the problem Mm -hmm. or, you know, is it just a glass of wine or two? (laughs) Yes. So your relationship to these things really, Mm -hmm. really is is where the the secret lies. Yes. Yeah. I love that. In, In my business, I always say it's the food. And it's more than food, you know, when you start Mm -hmm. digging into that relationship with food or the relationship with the news or with social media or with other people or with your work, you know, like that's where the key always tends to lie is in getting curious about that, Mm -hmm. that relationship. Yeah. Where's that coming from? Yeah. Great. Well, I want to give you the opportunity to think about um, sort of stepping out and looking at, you know, whether you want to talk to the government or to your boss or <laughs> to the, you know, the nonprofit sector in general or your partner or like, mm-hmm. if you could say like one or two things that you think, hey, this would help people like me to not feel this way, to not burn out. What do you think those couple things would be? Well, I think one of them, and, you know, this would be to more a government, but also we as individual citizens is we need to reimagine healthcare. And I don't just mean from an accessibility or an affordability standpoint, but what is included in healthcare? How do you access it? is there stigma to access it? And, and we obviously need to make it accessible and affordable for all. Mm -hmm. It needs to include mental health. It needs to be about preventative care. There needs to be, you know, diet and, and healthy movement education. um, That's readily available for all, you know? Yeah. I think there's good conversation happening about that right now. Um, But while we're going to fix some things, like let's just scrap the whole thing and start over. Yes, I know. know, 2020 kind of has me feeling that way about a lot of things. (laughs) You know, it's not just accessibility and affordability. It's what's included in healthcare as well. Yeah. Yeah, And Um, perhaps what you're speaking to is really mm -hmm. shifting it from, from, um, sort of a disease care model, managing mm-hmm. disease to truly preventative health care. Yeah. 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 And like, you know, natural options should be made available just as much as a prescription. And there should be education about both because yeah. they can work together. Mm, <laughs> they I can love work that. together yes. really well. Yes. There's room at the table for everybody. And yeah. I, it, that's, that's a real problem that I find mm-hmm. as a health coach, which is there are a lot of health coaches who are very anti-Western medicine and, you know, it's evil and it has nothing to offer and mm-hmm. we should not be paying for it. And it's kind of like, mm, if I break my leg, I'm not going to go for acupuncture. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> I mean, eventually during the healing process, perhaps, but it's not going to be my first choice with like, please fix my leg. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, we don't need to scrap modern medicine to push alternatives forward. (laughs) Exactly. Let's just invite them all to the table. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, from, from a nonprofit standpoint, you know, and it also aligns with healthcare is we need to understand who is doing the work and at what expense that work comes on an individual. 
because there are people doing really great work, um, whether it's in home care or social work on the front lines, and they're doing it for an undervalued cost of their time and their own energy. So there needs to be something, you know, yes, we need to increase the pay for those, almost everyone in healthcare and probably nonprofits. But what are we doing to care for these individuals as well? Like, does 40 hours a week make sense when you're giving that much of yourself? Yeah. Or, you know, is there an alternative there? Um, to provide more care and more time for relaxation and respite for these individuals as well. Mm, I love that suggestion. Yes. And, and it really, it really comes back to this idea that, you know, there's really no such thing as part-time work in a nonprofit Mm -hmm. situation. It's usually full-time work for part-time pay (laughs) and that's a completely different issue, but it's a really interesting question. Like what if we were to say, you know, the work that you do is so valuable that we should pay you full-time for working, you know, we should pay you for 40 Mm -hmm. hours for working 30. (laughs) Yeah. Flip that on its head. Like that's a beautiful thing that can happen organically in nonprofit. Like we can imagine a solution from nothing, you know, nonprofit programs that work really well start because someone looked at a problem and imagined a better solution than what was there. Yes. So I think that that effect could ripple out into other industries and other areas of care too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Well, that was all wonderful. Thank you for sharing your story. And I just want to let you, you're, you're doing this on the record. As I say, you're not using an anonymous name. You're not hiding behind anything. So give a shout out to where you work and things you love. Like where can we find them? Yes. Um, so I work for volunteers of America, Michigan. Um, you know, I spoke to the program that I run, which is the Health Professions Opportunity Grant, but there are so many other wonderful programs across the state of Michigan. Many of them are serving um, veterans, homeless veterans, and families of veterans, Mm. but there's also great programs. um, Like if people are looking for something to do during the holidays, adopt a family. We offer that, you know, they Mm. can adopt a family and just make their Christmas. And we do, you know, a backpack drive during school as well. So it's a really great organization that touches a lot of different people's lives in various ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. Great. And I will definitely put the, um, the link into the show notes. You gave me the, um, the website and also the Facebook mm-hmm. page. So I'll make sure to drop those in there. And where are you teaching yoga? Um, I will also shoot, uh, shout them out. So I teach yoga at Live Cycle Delight in West Village, Detroit. Um, it's a Black-owned, women-owned studio. Yes. yes. <laughs> so we have <laughs> yoga, Pilates, cycling, TRX, uh, booty bands class. So, you know, there's something for everyone, even, you know, active aging, whatever, wherever you find yourself. You know, there's options digitally right now or private training as well. So great, great studio. (gasps) Yay. Thanks for shouting them out. I'll make sure to get them in there too. So (laughs) thank you so much, Deandra, for doing this with us. And I look forward to staying in touch. Yes. Thank you so much for putting this work together. (laughs) Sure. 
Thanks for listening. Please note that any suggestions provided on this show are not meant to replace medical advice, and the opinions of the guests on this show are their own. And Simply Health Coaching and Elizabeth A. Baker, LLC, neither endorse nor take responsibility for statements made by guests. Let me know your thoughts about the episode and share your biggest takeaways and aha moments. And let me know who else you want to hear from on the topic of being well while doing good. You can send me a voice message directly through Anchor, as well as through some of the other listening platforms. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast in your listening app so you never miss an episode. Love the podcast? You can support it with a donation directly from the podcast homepage in most listening apps. If you'd like to know more about my work, visit my website at simplyhealthcoaching.com. As always, the link is in the show notes.